confused about what a church actually is. So let's take some time to set the record straight. Church is not a building, though a building can be used by a church. Church is not a denomination, though a set of beliefs should be important to a church. Church is not about Sunday, though a church should not forsake meeting together. Church is not about one person or personality, though every church should be pastored. And church is not about size or growth, though every church is called to make disciples. So don't think of church as an address or a location, but rather think of church as mobile and on the move. Don't think of church as something built or planted, but rather think of church as something deployed. Don't think of church as where you are for an hour each week, but rather what you are every day of the week, because the church is the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. Feet shouldn't sit still. Hands shouldn't be idle. Feet go. Hands do. This is the church. Church isn't what you're sitting through right now, because you are the church. Now go and be the church. Well, good morning. Church, you are the church. And I hope you're learning that as we look at this study together. I'm going to start off this morning's message with a little exercise, okay? I like to do just a little word association. Just, just one word. I'm going to say a word. And what I'd like for you to do is, you guys might turn me down just a little bit because I might get excited and start yelling in a minute. So what I'd like you to do is just write down on your note cards the very first thing that comes to your mind. When I say this word, now don't overthink it, guys. Don't analyze it. Don't look at your neighbor and see what they're writing and think what's really the right answer. You know, all that stuff. Don't give us the churchy answer that you think you're supposed to say. Just, you know, one of those things that comes to your mind immediately when I say this, okay? Are you all ready? You all ready? All right. Get your pens out. Ready? I'm going to say this word. Write it down. You have two seconds to write it down. Ready? Church. That's it. Church. All right, now, two seconds are up. You wrote down your answer. You know, as we look at the answer to that word association question throughout the church in America today, we find that many people come up with many different things. We, we have different thoughts and perceptions about what church is, about what church should be, our own experiences. And you know what the most common answer when, when we say that among Christians, among those who make up the church, when we say church, the most common associated word that comes along with that is building. The building. Now, that's, that's okay if the church building in your mind represents what the church really is, but what we're trying to do in our series and our study, Understanding God's Word, what it says about the church, is we're trying to see that the church really is not the building. The church is not a location. The church isn't the programs that we have when we come together and the activities that we do. None of that makes up the church. And I think by now, maybe, maybe we're getting this idea, the church really is you. The church is the people. And I want to show you this morning uh, church from maybe a different side. We, we've looked at what it, what it means to be the church, and we have seen God's plan at, in the, the origin of the church and the birth of the church. And now what I really want to do is focus, just for this morning's sermon, I want to focus on what benefit to you is the church. I, I really, I really, and the reason we can do that uh, safely, truthfully, is because of two overarching principles. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 Peter 2, and I'm going to share these overarching principles with you. They're very simple, and they'll help direct our study this morning. 1 Peter chapter 2, 
The first overarching principle is this. Um, God's sovereign plans, God's purposes, always work to benefit us. So, God is up to something, right? God originated, all the way back in Genesis 1, God birthed this concept called the church, what he wants to do with the church. Would you agree with me? We've studied over the last several weeks that God has an overall purpose, a sovereign, eternal plan, God's mind, God's intention, his intention, what he wants to do with the church. Would you agree with me? He has a plan for the church. Amen? Okay, we're getting off a slow start this morning. Amen? All right, let's, let's go. So, he has a plan for the church. Now, watch this. Since God's purposes always work to benefit us, we can also look at it from this angle. God has a plan for the church, but his plan for the church, if we're part of it, will also bless us. There's a blessing for each one of us as we align ourselves with God's purpose in the church. Here's the second overarching principle. We are a people. We are a people. Now, that's, um, I don't have a whole lot of time to dive into this, but, but just understand, that thought runs against the grain of Western civilization, us being a people. We are philosophically, we are historically an independent-minded people. The emphasis in the American culture is put on independence. It's me and my worldview and what I, what I tend to get involved in and do and how I perceive things is all about how it affects me and my thought and my plan and what I can be. And that's, that's kind of what we're taught that sort of highlights uh, the, the economy and, and the politics and everything that we are as a culture and as a people. And, you know, you can argue whether it works or not all day long. It's fine for uh, the governmental system that we have. But it's not fine for the church. Because God's plan is that we are a people. Now, First Peter chapter 2 Look with me, if you will, beginning in verse 9. Verse 9 says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who were once not a people, but now are the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Look what Peter's saying here. This is talking clearly to those who have been redeemed in Christ. Are you with me? Right? Because there, there was a time where we, were, we had not obtained mercy, and then through the blood of Jesus Christ, confessing Him as Lord and Savior, we receive eternal life, salvation, we receive mercy. So he's talking about that transition that occurs from not having mercy, dead in your sins, to receiving mercy and being alive in Christ. Are you with me? You see? He's talking to those people. So if you're alive in Christ today, just say amen. If you're alive in Christ today, you are, by virtue of God's sovereign plan, included in this description, in this verse. It says, but you are, and notice, it doesn't say you are a person or an individual or a saved Christian. It, it, that's not the point. It says you are a chosen generation. Generation comes from that word genos. It, it comes from where we get our word genes from. It has to do with the, the offspring and, and the, all the, uh, the being of the same tribe and, and the same characteristics. You are, as those who have been received mercy, been redeemed, you're chosen by God to be His offspring, to be those who are a people group together. You're defined in Scripture as a, as a generation, a chosen generation, a people. The church is that. 
We are a specific group of people. And then it says a royal priesthood. Now, you, you know, we talk about priesthood. A priest, a priest represents man before God. He goes to God and says, I'm representing my fellow man. That's what the priest does. So as an individual Christian, we are a priest, but the description doesn't say that, does it? It says, you are a royal priesthood. You see, there's an order of priests. It refers to the connection that we share, all of us, as we're priests unto the Lord together. The focus, the emphasis of receiving mercy, being redeemed, is that we're not just a person, we're a generation. We're not just a priest, we're part of a royal priesthood together. And then he calls them a holy nation. We're a holy nation. Nation there is the word ethnos. It's, it's a, it's, again, it refers to a people group that share characteristics. We get our word ethnic, and we, we think of colors and and races when we think of ethnic, but that's not necessarily what ethnicity means. Ethnic is all of us in an ethnic group share bonds that make us who we are together. We're a part of a certain ethnicity. He says, you are God's holy ethnic people. You know, you know, what, you know what characteristic we share? What DNA, what, you know... Um, Black people share the fact that their skin is black and, you know, oriental people share the fact that their eyes are shaped differently than white people. Okay, I'm not being racist here. I'm just talking about differences that we can identify, right? Um, God's people share the holiness of God. That's what makes us of the same ethnos. He said, you are a holy nation. The very distinct difference of who God is compared to the rest of creation, that stuff in him is now in us, and it's intended that we share that together. There's a, there's a bond. There's a binding that occurs to us as a people. And then he says, his own special people. Okay, all I want to show you this morning in this passage is that the word of God refers to us when we have received mercy and been transformed by his grace as a people group. Listen, you're born again as a Christian. Yes, that's true, but understand this. You are instantly born into a family when you're born again in Christ. And God's plan and God's purpose is that our identity is not necessarily just as an individual disciple and Christian, but that we are disciples together family together, sharing the holiness of God together, his own special people. His own special people. And so now I want to look at this concept that we understand that God's purposes are also for my benefit and that I am part of a people of his. Why should I be part of church? That's the question today. And I know, you know, the interesting thing is there is a lot of people that I've met since coming to Reading who once were part of church but no longer are. Do you know people like that? That, that might be you this morning. You know, somehow you grew up at church or you were associated with church or something, whatever. And something along the way happened in your life or in, in your church experience. And you probably know people like this if it's not you. And something turned them off and all of a sudden... They, they, they saw um, that church was something that was an option for them that they can choose to no longer be part of, right? 
And most of us, if, if we're part of church and we see that, it almost hurts like a family member being divorced from a family. And what I want to do this morning is I want to show you, if that's you, or if you know somebody like that, or if you're wondering what it should be like, I want to show you the immense grand value of being part of the church. What is the benefit to me? What does God intend for me to receive also as a blessing? And there's three things that I want to show you this morning, three different passages of Scripture. The first one is, the church is where we find help. It's where we find help. Now, turn to Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to show you this in an interesting context. You, all right, now I know in America you're not supposed to admit this, as, especially as men, men of Reading, I'm going to ask you to admit this, all right? In your life, you are going to need help. Now I know, I know, that runs against everything men are taught about, in those sports magazines and, and Field and Stream and, and all of the culture that teaches us that we should pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and be able to conquer everything because it's manly. But the truth is, that's not what God's Word says. There is, in order for us to be what God wants us to be, listen, guys, in order for us to experience all that it means to be a godly man, you will need help. And the church it's the context, it's the gift, it's the people group that God has called you into that is ultimately responsible for giving you that help when you need it. Hebrews chapter 10, look at verse 23. Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold fast the confidence, oh, sorry. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. I just, I don't know about you, I'm really simple-minded, guys. I'm not like this intellectual genius or anything. I'm just a plain old guy, and I'm just seeing, reading this. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. I'm thinking, if the Word of God is taking chapter to write this to me, then it must mean that there's a possibility that I might actually waver. <laughs> In other words, it's implied here that I'm going to need some stability because I'm going to be tempted to waver, to fall back, to not stand up. And then he says, without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Now look at verse 24. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. This is an interesting verse. Oftentimes preachers use this verse to beat you up. They say, see, the Word of God says, don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. You can't forsake the... That's fine. But what I want to show you is what it looks like from the other side of that coin. What you're missing when you are forsaken. What you miss when you are the one who forsakes. Uh, You've got to understand that word. It says we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the church. The word forsake there is really the same word for helpless. Helpless. To, to abandon and leave in a helpless state. Uh, when I was young, I was raised, and my mom had some difficulties. She was only 15 when she had me, and um, she was trying to survive in L.A., and not a good part of L.A., and a young baby. Anyway, she, there were times where, as, a, as an infant, under a year old, she would have to leave me alone 
and go out and, and do whatever. And there I'd be a baby left alone in the crib, just in a room in the house. And when I look back at that, or when we think about that, or, or you hear those instances, you think, what a, what a, scary, what a scary thing. How awful is it that, that an infant or someone who's so helpless would be left or abandoned by one who is the one capable of and called to help and provide for that one, right? Doesn't that seem like a tragedy? And as, as, an, as the infant or as the baby or as the child, the one left helpless, you're in such a place that you cannot, it's impossible physically for you to care for yourself, for you to succeed, for, to, to get to health, to get to success, stability. And that's the idea here. Watch this. It says that we are not to leave helpless one another in the assembling of ourselves together. I wonder if you ever thought about this. There are times where you, as a part of the church, you would find yourself helpless without what you need to progress if someone else in your church is not there. Have you ever thought about this? You know, there's times where we can't, we're struggling as a church because we're, we're left helpless when certain people of the church, certain components, that's parts and people of the church, are not there where there should be. And he said, hey, don't forsake, don't leave helpless. And the opposite side of that is the encouragement. Help one another. The assembling of ourselves together, when, when we come together as a people, when disciples are rubbing life together and doing this thing called discipleship together, arm in arm, sharing life, there's a great sense of help that comes from that. We're not abandoned. We're not left helpless. We're helped. And so what about you? Where, where are you finding life is leaving you helpless? It could be, it could be that the very source of what you need to raise you up to the next layer level is right here in your church family, in your small group, in what God is doing in the lives of the people of this church as we share that together to leave helpless. Now, there's three things very quickly this passage shows us. Number one, your church is where you're understood. How is it helpful your church is where you're understood. It says, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. You see that in verse 24? That word consider there is the same word for understanding. Let us understand one another. Now, now watch this. Now watch this. It's going to be because you need something called love and good works, okay? Let's just assume that's something that God has planned for you. You want it, you need it. Love and good works. It says, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Consider one another carries with it the idea of intimate understanding. You, you know how many of us ultimately are depressed and lonely and, and struggling and hurting inside because just this, this simple fact, there's nowhere where we are really truly understood. And it, it locks us up in this cycle of sin or failure because, because somewhere God has intended for us to be considered and understood that others would see and know my experiences and my, my difficulties and my situations. To know in terms of not just reading a letter, but by virtue of proximity in life, sharing, 
You know it because you're, in a sense, sharing my life with me. You're part of my life as well. And so the troubles that I have, the burdens that I, that I have, watch this, the failures that I have, ultimately, what I desperately need and long for is for someone to at least understand. Well, I want to get past those failures just like you do. But part of the process is to have those who are also the elect, the redeemed, holding the Spirit of God within them to understand me. I know there's somebody in this room and you don't know what the solution is to something in your future. You have no idea how it's going to work out. It scares you, perhaps stress. And what you don't realize is what you desperately need is just in that circumstance for someone to come alongside in life and admit with you, confess with you, that's a very scary thing. And the place you're in is difficult. Understanding. Understanding one another is, that's something that just cannot be manufactured. You can't put a Bible study to that. You can't do that by routine or ritual. It comes from being together. See, the church is God's people together that when they understand one another brings them to a place where they can stir up love and good works in the life of one another. The church is the place where you're understood. You say, well, pastor, that's not been my experience. I'm sorry. I really am. Let me just apologize to you. But I can tell you what, from this day forward, that will be this church. This is a church where you're understood. Where you, you are you and it's okay. It's not that we look, compromise. It's not that we overlook sin issues in one another's lives. We want to address sin issues. We want to grow in the areas where we're weak and where we have failure. But in order to do that, we need understanding, not ridicule. We need compassion. People who are with us and behind us and, and vested in our interest that understand by the virtue of being part of the family what we're facing. You see what I'm saying? The church is also the place where you go to get help to do good. Let us, verse 24, consider or understand one another in order to stir up to love and good works. To stir up. <laughs> the idea there is really to stimulate something. It really does carry with it the idea of sort of being irritating or abrasive. <laughs> but I think in context, the point is there is a process that, let, let me just, let's say, let's say we're doing a scientific experiment. And in that scientific experiment, the end result is going to be something incredible. Whatever it is. Something amazing, dramatic. And there's steps in play, and you can see how all those steps come to fruition. But sometime in the experiment, there has to be intervention. There has to be something has to be heated up. Something has to be stirred to dissolve. Something You have to introduce some sort of instigation for the process to continue. Are you with me? You know, I mean, we're not all scientists, but I think you can understand that part, right? At some time in the process, you're left 
stalled until something incites, activates the next part of the process. That's what we are to one another. In a sense, your spiritual walk and and learning the, the, the peace and the love and the joy of being the church is stalled, is stalled out until something, someone stimulates the next part of the process for you. That's, see, I, I like this verse because I'm a stirrer upper. <laughs> that probably isn't a surprise to you. I like to stir up to loving good works. But I also need, I need people in my life besides my wife, my church, who understand me and know me well enough, who are in my life enough to where when I get to that place where I'm stalled and the next reaction needs to take place, whether it's hope or peace or forgiveness or encouragement or loving someone or good works that look a different color, what I need at that point is for someone to incite the will of God, the word of God, the things of God in my life. And listen, there is no place on earth that you need to go to to get that kind of incitement from outside of your church, your family. That's how God uses us. Incite one another. Yeah. And let us consider one another in order to stir up, to incite, stimulate love and good works. Churches where you're understood. Churches where you go to get help to do good. And finally, churches where you get encouragement. It's where you get encouraged. Um, you know, have you ever been reading through the New Testament in the Bible and it says something about admonishing one another? You ever saw one of those verses? Am I in the right room? This, the Bible, this one, the Word of God. You ever been reading and you saw something to the effect that we are to admonish one another? Yeah, do like this. Okay, at least help me out here a little bit. Okay. And we always carry, you know, admonish one another. And that's, that's the finger waving. Admonish. Ed, you better get right with God and do this and blah, 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 blah. That's admonishment in some of our minds, isn't it? Do you know the word admonish literally means to engage mentally? To mentally, on a cognitive level, the thinking level, engage one another. The church is the place where we have brothers and sisters who also are walking like us, who, who challenge us, who engage us, who dialogue with us on the intellectual, the thinking level, the level of our lives that says, here's what I really believe is real. Here's what I do in my life, the priorities that I establish in my habits. Here's how I view the rest of the world that will cause the way I respond to circumstances around me. Are you with me? Those are the things that happen cognitively. They're mental. And there are all kinds of attempts to engage you cognitively in the world we live in. And all of them, all of them outside of Christ and your local church family seek to draw you away from God. It's only the church that's to engage you mentally where you think your logic in such a way that helps you grow closer to God. 
You see how much you need the church? You've got to be engaged intellectually with the truth of God's word, with the experiences and the fruit that comes from obeying God's word in the lives of others. I submit to you that it becomes increasingly difficult to obey God's word until you begin hearing testimony of obedience in your church. You know, I think that's one of the real keys to doing the hard things in our faith. When we begin to hear and see and dialogue with the brothers and sisters, you see, guys, hey, there's a spiritual connection to that person sitting next to you. You you cannot fully even describe the bond that you share with others in your church. It's supernatural. It's divine. It's spiritual in nature. And when the, when the admonishment occurs and the, and the dialogue back and forth and the reasoning together and the laying out of, of what is true and what is right and what is God and who is God, when that happens, it brings life. It brings success. It brings obedience. It brings the fruit of God in our lives. I want that. Guys, I know I need that because when I try to do it on my own, I have so many times fell flat on my face. When I try to hide my Christian life from everybody else, when I try to isolate myself, when church just becomes part of that like social club that I just want to go to and then go home away from, I end up struggling because I'm missing the encouragement that I need. It says, I'm reading back in these verses again, verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Are you seeing it? For he who promised is faithful. Now watch. So then, in that regard, let us consider, understand one another in order to stir up, incite love and good works, not forsaking, leaving helpless or being helpless, the assembly of ourselves together as is the manner of some. You see, the church was already starting. Because you know what? The church was born in the heyday of Greco-Roman thought. Right? It was born in, in sort of the flourishment of Western civilization. And all the, the debates that were happening in the context of the church, the first church that was born, all those dialogues and debates and discussions were all about independence. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, don't already begin giving into that. That's not you. You're a people of God, and you are not to, as some are already doing, leave one another helpless, living life on your own. He said, but instead, watch it, second half of verse 25, exhorting one another. Exhorting one another. Hey, let's be honest. Most of us have had some church experience where we were not exhorted by others in our church. Am I, am I in the right room, anybody? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. And you think, you know what, those people in my church, whether it was the past or present, they, they let me down. They didn't exhort me. They, they criticized me. They, they tore me apart. They pushed me down and discouraged me. Hey, listen, that happens too. Has it ever occurred to you that during those times in church, it might be you that God wants to use as a source of encouragement to the one who isn't understanding? I said, well, that's hard. That means, that means I have to what? That means I have to love somebody even though they're being ugly to me and I don't want to do that. But hey, that's who Jesus is, guys. 
That's, that characterizes who Christ is. And so when, we, when, when because it gets difficult or because relationships still have sin issues and, 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 and we, we sin against one another and offend one another in the church, because that happens, the tendency is then to go back to logical thinking, to cultural thinking, to withdraw myself, protect myself, remove myself. That's the very platform where God does his best work when you choose to forgive. When you love in spite. And listen, I'm going to show you this in a minute, but not only is that what the person next to you needs, that's what you need to be doing as you follow Christ. You see, it didn't catch God off, off guard and catch Him by surprise that every church isn't perfectly encouraging all the time. But listen, I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to tell you this. You can disagree with me and be wrong if you want to. I'm telling you this right now. There is no other place. It might, you might ex- have a bad experience in church. Understood. But there is no other place on this earth, no other place that you can turn to that will be a substitute. No other place. The bottle won't work. Your career won't work. Your hobby won't work. Your finances won't work. Card club sports association, none of, all those things are fine, well, and good. None of those will ever take the place of where God intends for you to receive your encouragement. It's right here. Hey, look at the person next to you and say, you're my encouragement. Go ahead. Okay, that was good. Now, if you said that to your spouse, that's no fair. That's cheating. <laughs> of course you are if you're married. Turn to the person you're not married to and say, you're my encouragement. <laughs> you may have to look around. All right, all right, all right don't, that's enough, that's enough. Don't get too encouraging. It's not, we got to be church. Listen, I want to tell you this, church. You're my encouragement. You, you, you are my encouragement. Julie, Bud, need you part of the church for our encouragement. And you need mine as part of the church. Exhorting one another. Guys, this would be so clear to Christians today. This would be, this should be, listen, some things are hard to see. This is a no-brainer. So much more as you see the day approaching. I mean, my goodness, the day is approaching. The day, capital D, the return of Christ. It's happening soon. It's approaching. And listen, there's, a, there's even, according to the logic of this verse, there's even more intense need for us to be encouraged by one another today as we grow closer to the return of Christ. Watch the news. Ch- check out what's happening to marriages in America. Do you know? It's, it's falling apart around us, Literally. You, and listen, if you're a parent or a grandparent, your children, your teenagers, your grandchildren never needed the encouragement of being part of a church like they do now. Never. Things begin to fall apart and the world gets more difficult. Listen, when they start showing up in colleges and executing you because you claim to be a Christian, well, that's not new, but it's tough. When it's 
acceptable? When we are aborting billions of babies, you need encouragement. That's the kind of world you face. You need one another. Don't forsake. Come and experience the life of encouragement. The church is where you get help. It's God's plan. Number two, the church is where you get love. Love. Turn to Colossians chapter 3. I'll show you some things that you, you might be interested in, you might need this week, and then I'll show you where it comes from. Does that sound good? Or would you rather just go home now? I'm just checking. You just want to make sure. Listen, I'm going to show you something very helpful here. This will change your life. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, Who's the elect of God? The church. We are. Who's the elect of God? We are. Therefore, as the church, the elect of God, he said, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. Then he goes on, verse, eight, uh, verse 13. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, you also must do. But above all these things, put on love. Mark that verse right there. We're going to come back to it. Put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you are also called in one body, and be thankful. Jesus is building his church. He said in Matthew 16, I will build my church. And listen, it might all be falling apart at the seams in the world around you. I agree, but know this. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You know, that's the only earthly organization and institution that God promises that the gates of hell will not prevail against. The church... And in other words, it will prevail against everything else, but not the church. And you say, well, it's hurtful. Well, there's times where I, I don't really, I have better things to do than be part of church. There's, there's, I have to build my career, and, and you don't understand the, the, the tug of life and all the things that are going on. And you're right, I, I agree. It's tough. We live in a chaotic, crazy world. But understand this, Jesus is building his church. And his church is based on love. And his church is based on mercy. And his church is built on compassion. So that's not been my experience. But that's what the Lord's church is. Hey, um, how am I ever going to be held up in this life? It's probably not a surprise to you. In this life, you will need to be held up. You will. Because why? Because the gates of Hades can prevail against everything else. But somewhere, God has placed you where you will be held up and nothing will prevail against you. Can you just imagine yourself facing 300 mile an hour winds and blowing sleet and 
hurricane winds and just, I mean, that stuff that would just like instantly blow you over. And just for a moment, that's life. Some say, yeah, it feels like life right now to me. And could you just imagine for a moment that behind you is a divine, supernatural, loving force that just holds you perfectly steady in the face of all that? You never lose ground. Never threatened to fall. You need to be held up. And listen, if you're one of those here saying, I don't really need to be held up, then there's your area. You need to be held up right now. Your pride's going to cause you to fall. You need to be held up. I need to be held up. Look what it says. How? How am I held up? It says, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another. By the way, bearing with one another there means holding one another up. How is that done? Well, I'm going to go back again. Put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing one another, holding one another up. You see how we hold one another up? That's, that's what you can look forward to, guys. Hey, that's what you can embrace right there. Being part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ means that you will have in your life Tender mercies. Mercy. Giving you the benefit of the doubt, what you don't deserve, tenderly. Carefully. Kindness. You know, as Christians, I, you ever gone to like uh, Starbucks or McDonald's or something, you're in the drive-thru and you know, you're so impatient because you had to wait three minutes instead of one. And, you know, you're just cussing at the world because the person in front of you is taking way too long. And then you get up there and somebody says, oh, the person in front of you paid for that. Everybody ever had that happen to them? It's happened to me. What's wrong with Reading? You should go to San Diego. It happens all the time. <laughs> all, I'm not kidding. All the time. It's just crazy right now going through Southern California. People are paying for the person, you know, pay it forward. They're paying just, here, here's two coffees, get the guy behind me. Here's a Big Mac, get the guy behind me. It's happening all the time. And, you know, it's kind of a fad right now for the world, and they're all crazy about it. But even me, as a pastor, when I go through it, I'm so overwhelmed at that kind of kindness. That person would, wow. What does it come to that that kind of kindness overwhelms me? I mean, that's okay, but seriously, that didn't change my life. It's a cup of coffee. What about real kindness? What about day in and day out lasting when someone is treating me as they want to be treated? When someone shows me the kindness of thinking of me and caring for me and helping me, doing for me and with me and sharing my burdens. Come on, church. That's the kind of kindness that should be part of everyday life in the church. You can look forward to that. That's how you're held up. You need kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. Oh, I love that. You know what long-suffering is, right? Suffering long. You probably don't realize this about yourself, but at some point in life, if somebody gets to know you well enough, they're going to suffer. Now, you think that's funny and it's kind of a joke? That's really what it means. 
When you're patiently enduring someone, it's because their sin nature, their character flaw, their self-centeredness is causing you to suffer in some way. You see, it's inherently built within the church to prepare for the need for long-suffering. In other words, well, I'm not good enough to be part of church. I have too many flaws. I have too many, too many bad habits. Listen, this is the place where those are placed around you as your church family that are called by God and equipped by God to suffer along with you what you need. And I need. Suffering long with one another. Um, just imagine what it would be like if that's the way we treated one another in the church. Imagine what we can do. Imagine how encouraged you would be. They say, that sounds pretty good. I, I would like to be part of a family that treated one another with tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, and long-suffering. But where do I get that kind of treatment? Where do I get that? Verse 14. But above all these things, put on love. Above all these things, put on love. I want to read something to you. Um, God's love. Now, this is really important, so bear with me. You don't have to turn there because you know 1 Corinthians 13 is the love passage. I'm going to read from that in just a minute, but watch this. What I want you to do is I want you to listen when I read this passage in terms of how it affects you when somebody else is loving you like this. Okay? I'm not going to challenge you right now to, be, to, be, to do this love. I'm going to challenge you to imagine what it would be like to receive this love in the church. Imagine this. that you're, This is what you get when you're part of the church. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. Love does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. It's not provoked. And thinks no evil. What if you were treated like that? Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. What if you could be part of a family, of a people, where when you encountered life and everything else, when they treated you with this love that, listen to it carefully, this love that hopes all things and bears all things. Whatever it is that's happened in your life, whatever has occurred to you this last week or last month or last year, no matter what, all things refers to all things. Everything that could ever happen, they bear with you in that. They hope in the middle of that circumstance, whatever it is, all things, they hope with you for better solutions. They bear with you. They endure with you. I got, I got to tell you guys, you're going to need that. You're going to need that. And, and listen, let me just save you the time. Not much time left, so let's take shortcuts here, okay? You're not going to find it anywhere else. There's nowhere else on the planet that 
even understands that kind of love, much less is capable of doing it. And I submit to you that Cross Point Community Church will be a church where you will receive God's love, tender mercies, hoping all things, believing all things, bearing all things. It doesn't mean perf- perfection. Remember what Jesus said. Abide in my love, he said, John 15. Abide in my love as you love one another. See, here's what we find out, church. At some point, you're going to need Jesus in your treatment of one another. Yeah, just because of who we are. Like, I'm a pretty good guy. Amen. I'm, see how insecure I am? I need you to affirm that. Uh, I'm a pretty good guy. Thank you. But those that get close to me, let me just warn you, I'll probably let you down. I don't want to, and it will grieve me when I do, but I know that I, I still struggle with my flesh. And even though I've been redeemed in Christ, I still battle with that sin nature and there's times where I'm selfish that's right your pastor there's times where I'm selfish amen <laughs> amen Juan. amen he knows me look that's you too by the way you know what I need those are the times when I need like no other for someone my family, a someone, a person in my church. I need that person to love me with Christ's love. Not, not, not the love that I've earned. You see, I didn't earn it because I, I'm offensive and I'm selfish and I rub people the wrong way. But that's the time where in order for me to grow, I need Jesus' love in somebody else to be given to me. That's the kind of love Liz gives me. There's nowhere else in the world I want to go to get it, by the way, than right here. And it helps me. It ministers to me. It serves me. You need to be served and ministered to in the church. And the primary way that happens is when the love of the Lord Jesus Christ is given freely to one another. The church is the place where you go to get his love. There's one more, i, I got to close. There's one more final uh, place, uh, thing that, to experience in the church. The church is also where we get to know God. It's where we really get to know who God is. I want to invite you to turn to Ephesians 2, and we'll close in just a second. Ephesians 2. You guys know what a temple is, right? You all still with me? Not checking out too early, are you? Okay. I'm starting to pack up and watch the clock. I know, I know how it goes. You, you don't want to miss this, I promise. You know what the temple is? So the temple is a place of worship, right? And in Old Testament, in God's people, Israel, they, they built the tabernacle, which later became the temple, as primarily the, the dwelling place of God. So the temple represents the place where God exists, where we can experience Him, because that's where He dwells. He lives there. 
And so the children of Israel would go to the temple when they wanted to receive forgiveness and bring sacrifice and praise and worship and gifts and all those things that caused them to get to know God better because that's the place where God dwelt. Are you with me? That's the temple. Now in John 2, you don't have to turn there, but in John 2, Jesus is pretty ticked off. He walks into the temple and finds all kinds of stuff going on that's compromising that. And you know, that's, that's the passage where we see that side of Jesus. He's turning tables, guys. He's making a whip. Now, I don't know about you, but when the God of the universe that spoke everything into being begins doing that, I'm, I'm thinking he's pretty upset. The, the temple was being defiled, compromised. Therefore, where God was dwelling was being hindered for the rest of people to experience him, right? That's what made Jesus so mad. And that's the passage where he said, you know what? They said, well, what's your sign? If you, if you know all this stuff, you're so great, what's your sign? Understand Jewish people don't understand why they're asking for a sign. But basically, this is what he said. Tear down this temple, and in three days, I will what? Rebuild it. And they tore Jesus down and crucified him on the cross. And three days later, he rose from the dead. You tear down the dwelling place of God, and I will raise it back up again in three days. He, he himself rose from the dead, becoming the dwelling place of God on earth. And then we saw this happen at the birth of the church. Stay with me. The birth of the church, God literally poured his spirit into mankind, those who trusted Christ as Savior, and literally put himself into people, the church. And watch this. The church became full of those who were filled with the Spirit of God and became the temple. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Hold on, time out. You mean to tell me I am the dwelling place of God on this earth? That's cool. That's amazing. It starts with a personal commitment, right? Because each of us choose to trust Christ and then receive the Spirit of God. And the Bible says in various places, you are the temple of God now. You are it. Now, Ephesians chapter 2, all that to set up this verse. Watch. Verse 19. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Are you with me? That's who you are now. You are now members of the household of God, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, verse 20, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, look at verse 21, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. You see, there's a fellowship aspect to this. The whole building being fitted together, this is into a holy temple. You're no longer foreigners. You've been interdependently connected with one another as the people of God, members of the household of God. See, he's talking about coming together as the church. And in that context, you come together as members of the household of God as his church, having been built on this foundation in whom the whole building, the church body, the people, continue to grow, being fitted together. Now watch this. Grows into a holy temple in the Lord. I mean, I thought I was the temple. 
But now it's saying that all of God's people, the church, is the temple. Which one is it? And the answer is, yes. Both. There is a miraculous, divine, supernatural work that God wants to do dwelling right here in Reading. And the way that he chose to do it was to pour his spirit in you and 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 bring you together, building you, fitting you together as the church, Crosspoint Community Church, and adding to those number daily who he fits in, that church becomes, each one a temple, a dwelling place, becomes corporately together a larger manifestation of the temple, the dwelling place of God. If the God is dwelling in me and he's dwelling in you and we're together, how much more is God dwelling in our place, in our context, in our life? Now, I said a couple weeks ago, now it may more, make more may make more sense to you. The church should be a force to be reckoned with on this planet because we are corporately being fitted together as the dwelling place of God. As flawed as we are, as selfish as we can be, as hurtful as some of our experiences have been, listen, this still, as God's love spreads, they'll know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. As the love spreads right in the middle of who we really are, person to person, relationship to relationship, listen, God dwells in Reading. God dwells in Reading right here. Like not one of us could ever do ourselves. And you're blessed to be part of that. And you don't have to be perfect. Matter of fact, you might have some bad experiences dark past this is the place not the building the people this is the people where God wants to bless you where you'll get help where you'll receive his love and where you get to know him as he dwells in his place part of the temple by being part of his work and you can't replace that with any other entity on the entire planet the church is for you let's pray I invite you as you're bowing your heads, closing your eyes for a time of prayer and response, I invite you to consider your own relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It might be that you've grown up in church or know things about God, but the, the truth is, have you ever really personally trusted Jesus as your Savior? That's the only requirement to be part of a church. Got to be born again. Got to receive His Spirit. Be redeemed. And that happens by taking a step of faith, accepting God's free gift of salvation. If that's your heart this morning and you'd like to pray to receive Jesus, 
and be saved from your sin. I want to invite you to do that right here, right now. Pray with me quietly in your own heart. Father, I know that I sin and I'm a sinner. And my sin prevents me from getting close to you. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross and pay the penalty for me. I receive forgiveness through Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Come into my life and be my Lord. If you've been born again and prayed that prayer, you're part of the church and God's called you to this local church. This is your family. May I invite you to respond this morning by just coming to the altar and just standing next to a family member? Just just praying for somebody else in the church. You might know their needs. You might just be burdened for them or you might just be thankful for them. Would you come to the altar this morning and pray a prayer of thanksgiving and encouragement for somebody else in your church body? Each person as you come, just come to the altar, stand, sit, pray. It might be somebody that's here today and it might be somebody that's not. As God leads you to be part of the church and pray for one another, you come now. Lord, we're just praying that person, that couple, someone else who's part of my church. Thank you, Joy. Thank you, God. Thank you that they have been able to bear up with me. Thank you for the love, your love that was given to me. Lord, I pray for this person or this family in in our church or for others in our church that that they would be encouraged today, that they would know that I love them and care and share their burdens. Show me how to understand them. Thank you for each one, Lord, those that come to mind and those that don't come to mind this morning. Thank you, God, we have a place, a people, a family to take refuge in. To come in from the battering of the world and the fierce winds driving against us in our community and culture. And we have this place of standing firm people who love you. Thank you that as we come together, Lord, we're, we're each one of us the temple, the dwelling place of your spirit. You're building your presence here in this community through us. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can look, you can look this way. Um, I, I do want to call your attention to those response cards.
as you just prayed that prayer, perhaps um, the Lord's laid something on your heart. You can respond to him. Um, there's other boxes on there. Did you pray that prayer with me to receive Jesus as your Savior? If you, if you just prayed that prayer with me right now and for the first time really meant that, would you mark that on the back of this card that said, I, I prayed to receive Jesus today. I'm committing my life to Christ. Would you, would you check that? Or if you want to know more about it, check, check that box. We really want to help you to make that step. Guys, are going to help with the offering if you'll come forward at this time. I hope and pray that this, our time in God's Word has been a source of encouragement to you. That you see how wonderfully blessed you can be. The benefits of being part of this church. I want to challenge you to be faithful and consistent in your tithes and offerings and put your response card into that offering plate as it comes by as well. This is all the things that we get to do as a church family and we're so grateful to be able to do. Matt, would you lead us in prayer? God, we thank you so much for today and this opportunity that we have to uh, be here to worship you. And Lord, I just pray for this offering that we're about to take. And uh, Lord, just uh, may it be a giving from our heart, from uh, a giving back and uh, saying thank you uh, for allowing us to have the resources that we do have and, and being able to uh, use those for your glory. Lord, I, I pray right now that uh, you would be with each person here. I thank you for the way that you have uh, used them in uh, this ministry of this church and uh, the many ways that uh, we can uh, reach out. Lord, I pray for today as we leave uh, uh, this day that you would uh, uh, go before us in the way that we serve, in the way that we work, in the way that we minister to our own families. For it's in your name I pray. Amen.